You know, uh, as we enter in November, we are in this kind of overlapping of several sports seasons. You know, you have, we just finished the World Series, you have football in full swing, and basketball is beginning, and I have a confession to make. I feel like I need to confess this to you all. Um, the way I follow sports is the way some people follow Jesus, okay? Um, I like sports, but I'm not a sold-out fan. In other words, I, you know, I just don't plan my life around sports or the, you know, my, my team's schedule. I may watch a few games here and there, uh, but I'm not known to watch games every week. And I may even attend a game or two every now and then, but, you know, nothing very consistently. And, uh, you know, it's similar to how some follow Jesus. Like I said, some people may watch a few services on television, maybe attend a few during the year on special occasions or holidays. And that's kind of how I am with sports. Um, and in sports and in church, I guess you could say, if you want to try to make a connection here, in sports you have basically two types of fans. You have the faithful few, what we'll call the remnant. And then you have the category I fall into, more of the fair weather fans. And, uh, you know, the faithful few, this, this, this remnant of fanhood, you know, they, they follow their team regardless if they're winning or they're losing, raining, snowing, you know, sun's out, doesn't matter. You know, they're going to follow their team. These, these folks are the season ticket holders, you know, they basically organize their life around their team's football, basketball, baseball schedule, whatever it may be, okay? And, and these folks are so aligned with their team. They refuse to wear certain colors, so they you know, will not be confused as a fan of any other team but their own, okay? So, the faithful few. Now, on the other hand, you have the fair-weather fan. And this is my confession. This is kind of how I am. I have a team, I follow certain teams loosely, but I don't know a lot about the team as far as who, I probably couldn't name you that many people on the team, I don't, rarely do I know who they're playing next, you know, I may follow them a little bit closer, you know, when they're winning, like my team is this year, or if they're losing, I, you know, I may not even know what's happening that much, and that's just, that's just kind of how I am, that's, that's the fair weather fan, I guess that's where you get the name. You know, when the weather's good, they follow, when they don't, it's, there's a little bit more distance. And, you know, when your team drifts into this losing season, it's the faithful few that are filling the stands. Or if the score's like 49-0, to zero, you know, in the fourth quarter, they're still there watching their team because they're so just, you know, sold out to this, to this team. And it's the, it's the faithful few, it's the remnant that they, every season they're longing for the better season. You know, maybe this year we're going to get a new coach, and he's going to bring in the changes needed, and we're going to have that winning season. He's going to bring us to victory. You know, there's always that anticipation building with them. But my confession is that I just don't belong to the faithful few. I just don't. And my wife can tell you, I don't. I like sports. I like to play sports, but I'm just not in that category of fanhood. However, when it comes to following Jesus... You know, I don't want to be a fair weather fan. I, I want to be, I want to be part of the remnant. I want to be part, you know, of the faithful few. You know, I want my life to, 
I want my life to be altered because of my relationship with God. You know, I want Him to have influence and I want Him to bring about change in my life. And I want to be counted you know, among the remnant. And this idea of this faithful few, this remnant, actually runs throughout Scripture. And the, the book we're studying this morning, Micah, we're going to see Micah referring to this remnant that God has. And God always has a remnant. And what I mean is He always has His people who are walking with Him, regardless of what happens. Whether it be during the time of Noah, or whether it be during the the time of Elijah with the prophets of Baal, and there were so many of them, yet He always has His faithful few. And even during the exile of Israel, and the exile of Judah, when great difficulties coming upon God's people, there's always that, that remnant, that faithful group of people who are walking with the Lord. And so, as we look at Micah this morning, we're going to see times are getting very tough for Israel and eventually for Judah. And Micah was sent to the people of God to say, turn back to God. You know, you guys are trying to seek out all these things according to the nations around you. You're perverting your worship. You're acting greedily. You know, you're you're acting unjustly. Turn back to God. And they're going to refuse. And Micah is going to watch Israel go into exile. And then over a hundred years later, you're going to see Judah going into exile again. Well, when we get to Micah chapter 5, he tells Israel, as well as Judah, because of their fair weather faith, they're they're going to be taken into exile. So look with me at verse 1 in Micah chapter 5. He says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now, the judge of Israel, the king, is struck on the cheek because he is impotent to deal with the threat. He can't do anything about it. He's just slapped on the cheek because he cannot stand against the siege that's coming upon the city. And so even though Micah will witness the taking of Israel into captivity by the Assyrians, God will preserve a remnant for himself. And then in Micah chapter 5, verses 7 through 8, he's going to tell this remnant their role or how they will perform and, and what they will do as they are displaced and put in a different community among the nations in Assyria. In verses 7 and 8 we read, Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of men, or man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Okay, so basically he's saying, okay, you remnant, wherever you're located, whether you're in Assyria, whether you're in Babylon, whether you're in Augusta, if you're a group of people walking with God, you have a dual role. The first role is you are due from the Lord. And the second is you are like a lion in the forest. Okay? Due from the Lord. This idea of due from heaven or due from the Lord usually means, if you trace it to the Old Testament, usually it means blessing or favor. And occasionally it will mean judgment. But I think Mike is speaking of being a blessing here. And I get that from Proverbs 19.12. This is a great verse that helps us understand this idea of the dew of the Lord and 
the role of the lion. Proverbs 19.12 says this, A king's wrath is like a growling lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. And so here's what I think he's saying. That this remnant, this group of people that are walking with God, wherever you're located, whether it be Assyria or Augusta, you are to be like dew from God. You are to be a blessing wherever you're located. You're to to love your neighbor. You're to serve. You're to be a blessing to those around you. You're to share the gospel and present Christ to the people around you. Seek to bless them. But at the same time, we are to be like the lion. We are to be just and seek justice and stand firmly on God's truth. And this is how the Apostle Paul says how he explains kind of how that will work out and what will be the response in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. He says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ. To God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And here's the reality, if you're part of the remnant. Where you live among this city, whether it be Augusta, Syria, wherever. When you live within a city of people that some know the Lord, some do not follow God. Some will accept you. You will be a fragrance of life to them. Uh, They will see Christ in you and be drawn to Him and receive the gospel. And Christ will become Lord of their lives. But on the other hand, you'll also be rejected. There will be a kind of a repelling effect to what you have to say and what you stand for. And that's just the nature of it. When you think about Jesus, you know, was this not true of Jesus? When He was going around healing, teaching... Some people were drawn to Him. And the reason they were drawn to Him is because they felt they had a need for Him. They were humble, they were teachable, and they were drawn to Him. But then you had other groups of people who were proud, who were arrogant, who were self-sufficient, that were repelled by Him. And if that's true of Christ, then that's going to be true of you if you are a part of the body of Christ. For example, on Wednesday night, you know, we've been studying Christian ethics and we're trying to you know, look at specific issues through a Christian lens. And the reality is when you take certain stands upon God's word and you disagree with someone who may not be following God. I mean, you don't have to argue and be ugly about it. You don't have to hate the person or become violent, but there's a disagreement that happens. And I think this is what it means, that we want to be a blessing. We want to be due from God, but at the same time, you know, we want to be a lion. We want to stand upon the truth. You know, we want to represent Christ well to our city. And so Mike is telling the people that when you go into Assyria, uh, you're to be a blessing, but at the same time, there's going to be some rejection involved as well. But what we see in Israel and Judah and what we see in the church today is that we both, or all three of us, I guess, anticipate this ruler that is coming. Like Bob mentioned, we're in this, in the meantime, where we, there's difficulty, there's people that know Christ, people that don't, and yet we're still waiting upon Christ to come back. And in Israel's case, they were waiting for the Messiah to come for the first time. And it will be many years before the Messiah comes. 
But he will come, as we know. Uh, Bob alluded to Christmas. It's coming upon us soon. I've been trying to tell my children, you know, give me some ideas, Christmas presents, I need to figure out what you guys want for Christmas. And, because it's coming, where we celebrate the coming of the Messiah, the first coming of Christ. And in Matthew, in his gospel in the New Testament, when the wise men came to Herod looking for where the Christ was, was to be born, the chief priests and the scribes turned back in their Bibles to Micah chapter 5, and they quote this verse to, to the wise men, and they say this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. He says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of, of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And what we see is as this remnant is waiting for this ruler, while we're still in this kind of period of exile, we're waiting for this ruler to come, Micah says, this ruler is going to come from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is a small town. You know, probably the people in Micah's day had to get the map out and say, okay, Bethlehem, now where is that at? It's small, seemingly insignificant. And yet God says, I'm going to raise up a great ruler, the greatest of rulers from Bethlehem. And I think just this small little reference to Bethlehem here and just showing how God's going to raise up the Messiah from Bethlehem gives us just a reminder how God works. Who does God use? He uses the weak. He uses the humble. He uses those who admit their weakness and their need for Him. He uses those who are unexpected. And He does... Th- he does Unexpected things in unexpected places through unexpected people. And why does he do that? So he gets the attention. So they know, you know, that's not Ron. Ron can't pull that off. He's not able to pull that off, but God must be working. Or, you know, the Hill Baptist Church can't pull that off. They can't do that, but God is at work. God must be working through them. And that's how God works Throughout history, and I think we get a glimpse of it here in Bethlehem. And so you may be thinking, you know, can, the, can God use me? You may think I'm too young, or I'm too old, or I'm too educated, or I'm too uneducated. Or Ron, if you knew what I've done in my past, or if you knew what I've, I've done last night, <laughs> you would know God can't possibly use me. But let me tell you something. And you see it all through Scripture. This is the character of God. All He needs is a heart that's open to Him. If you open your life to Him, what we see is, the ruler comes in, Christ will come in, and He will bring about, what we'll see in this last section is, He will bring about a return, a restoration. And so you have a remnant, you have a ruler, and then you have restoration. It says in verses 4 and 5 that, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, talking about Jesus, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So when the ruler comes, when Christ comes, he will not only rule Israel, but his reign will stretch to the ends of the earth. He will be the King of kings, he will be the Lord of lords, and he he will be their peace. And when the ruler comes... Restoration comes. A return comes. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek to illustrate this point uh, using the lesser to the greater. Okay, And I'm going to try to stick with this sports analogy. But 
You can imagine if you had a losing team that wasn't doing very well and they brought in a new coach. Well, you know when you bring in a new coach, there's going to be changes. There has to be changes or you're going to keep losing. That's the whole point of bringing in a new coach. And so the team brings in a new coach and you may not like it, but there are going to be changes that take place. And the coach is making those changes so that you can become victorious in whatever you're doing. Well, in a much greater way, when Christ comes to His people, change will occur. Both in your life, personally, and among the nations when Christ returns, there will be change. And Micah goes through some changes here in verses 10 through 14. First, he says this, when Jesus comes, He will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots and he will cut off the cities of your of your land and throw down all your strongholds. Now you may think, why does Jesus hate horses? You know, what's the, what's the problem with horses? I know some of you may be thinking about that. Well, that's not the point. He doesn't hate horses. Obviously, he made horses. But here's what he's saying. When Jesus comes, he's going to take aim at what you're trusting in other than him. When he comes into your life, He's going to take aim at what you're trusting in other than Him. In other words, there's going to be some changing that takes place. And so when you look at Israel, it could be their weaponry, their horses, their chariots, their strongholds, their economy, whatever it may be. And some of those things may be similar to what you're trusting in. I mean, just think about it. What, What is it that you find your security in? I mean, is it your health? Is it your job or your retirement account? Your friendships, your family. I mean, what is it that gives you security? And what Micah says, when Jesus comes, He's going to challenge you on that and show you that your only security can be found in Him. And so He takes aim at our, our self-sufficiency. And secondly, He says He will, in verse 12, cut off sorceries from your hand, And you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. In other words, he's going to take aim at how we communicate with God. Why would you perform sorcery or go to a fortune teller? It's because you want to know what only God knows. And you're trying to acquire it through all these different ways. And so Jesus is going to deal with, okay, this is how you communicate with God. You must worship God and communicate with God in spirit and in truth. In other words, God's not confined to a space. You can come to Him wherever you are, but you have to come to Him through the way He's prescribed, and that is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the way, He's the truth, He's the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. And so you must worship Him in spirit and truth, not through these other methods, not through sorcery, fortune-telling, emotional experiences, through priests. You come to God through Christ. And that's how we communicate with Him, through Christ. So Jesus will not only address our self-sufficiency, but He will address our perverse forms of worship. And then thirdly, He says, He will cut off your carved images, in verses 13 and 14, He will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the works of your hands, and I will root out your Asherah images from among you, and destroy your cities. 
In other words, Jesus is going to come in and he's going to seek to push out or remove everything that is keeping you from worshiping him and enjoying him. Did you hear what he says here? I'm going to root out the Asherah images. I'm just going to reach down in there where they're rooted in your life and I'm going to pull them out. And that's what Jesus is going to do. If you come to Christ, if you're a Christian, that's what Christ is going to do in your life. He's going to address those areas of worship. What you're bowing down to, what you're making as an idol and what you're living for. Because that's how, that's how you can tell what your idols are. What are you living for? You know, what are you giving your life to? That's what you're worshiping. And so Jesus says, when He comes, He's going to do whatever it takes to clear out those idols so you can enjoy the one true God. So, we're the remnant. Right? We're the remnant in the world. And when you look around, you may think, you know, uh, sometimes the remnant's not faring very well. Sometimes the remnant, the church, uh, seems to be struggling, seems to be ineffective, seems to be dwindling. But rather, we need to look at it this way, that we have a ruler in Christ that guarantees us the victory. And so the question is, for you and for me, are you part of the remnant? Are you part of the faithful few that follow Christ? Is your life both like the dew and like the lion in the city where God has got you and placed you? And it's only, it's only our confidence in Christ as the victor that gives us strength to you know, put on the jersey of the Christian life and wear it in the power of the Holy Spirit, regardless of how our team may be doing. And so the question is, whose jersey are you wearing this morning? And I want to invite you to become part of the remnant and take up your cross and follow Christ. Let us pray. God, we're so thankful that you are faithful even when we are unfaithful. And Lord, we are so thankful that you always have your people. And that you're always at work redeeming people, using unexpected people in unexpected places to do great and mighty things. Lord, we just pray that you would use us. We open our hearts to you. Open our lives to you, God. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom just to roam in our lives and point out those areas where we are depending too much on ourselves, our own strength, or even the strength of others, or our society, our, our country, our um, jobs, whatever forms of security we're running to, God. I pray that you would be our rock. And Lord, I pray you'd address those perverse forms of worship in our hearts. Whatever we may be worshiping that, that is not of you, not you, would help us to see you rightly. And God, I pray you clear out the idols of our lives that we may enjoy our relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.